This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. From the Willow Window Broadcast Center. Willow Window. Making your home beautiful again with replacement windows, doors, and decks. Online at willowwindow.pro. Now live from NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. It's of course, good. it's the Greg Tucker Show, always on Monday. It's a good wet Monday morning. I don't know what's good about it. <laughs> I don't like rain like we're having right now. Now, of course, uh, when I was getting out of my car to eat this morning, there's a bulletin came across the radio that we were uh, having tornado warnings up pretty close to where you live and in, and also in the Milton Auburn town area. So did you uh, experience anything that even would look like that? Well, getting out of Donald's Chapel, it was one of those uh, rains where you can't see anything. So, you know, we're creeping up the hills and trying mm-hmm. to watch the yellow line. Then after we got over the hill and on up towards uh, the convenience center, uh, it began to ease up a little bit. But uh, coming out of the hills was was treacherous. This yeah. Morning. Yeah, I do want to mention uh, a couple of things that went on this weekend. John Blankenship had his uh, uh, Rue or whatever. I, I, I don't know how he uh, pronounced it. But anyway, they put on a great show up in Sparta and uh, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Got to spend uh, a, a lot of the day over there and great entertainment by uh, John and, and his uh, group. And um, there was a special event going on yesterday. Um, I, I don't know how many people uh, knew Dora Rivers, um, but she was one of the sweetest, kindest ladies I've ever known. And they did a celebration of her life, which... Couldn't have been more appropriate for somebody like her. And uh, um, you, you can feel the love in, in the building uh, as people got up and, and spoke, mostly uh, people that are her grandkids and, and uh, very close to her. And it was, um, it, it, it was one of those that you, you uh, couldn't miss how they, feel, they felt as far as the love that they shared about Miss Dora Rivers, and she was. She was very, very special to many of us, and um, and, and Sharon and, and Claudette did a good job up there 
making sure that everything was uh, the way that Miss Dora would have wanted it, and that was special. Now, what what are are we going to have a show today, or are we just going to sit here and just kind of float I, through? If I can keep you awake. Uh, on a serious note, I checked this weekend with a couple of friends. Uh, Ralph Puckett, my uh, car mentor, antique car mentor, uh, is at home. And he's at home because there's not really anything that uh, the hospital or the nursing home can do for him. And he's got family in and out all the time over mm-hmm. there and uh we visited and talked with him and and uh he's got a lot of help trying to keep him comfortable and we'll see see what the future holds and then i talked on the phone with um, marty luffman our our uh, smyrna historian mm-hmm. who uh, unfortunately was victimized by a large truck uh in a car accident uh, Marty is still uh, paralyzed from the waist down, but he's gotten some optimistic uh, uh, opinions from his medical consultants that uh, the damage may be uh, more in the nature of an inflammation and a swelling that uh, over time should reduce in the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. But he's being subjected to some incredibly uh, painful and uh, aggressive therapy over at Trust Point. Bless his heart. And said he spends most of his time trying to overcome the soreness and such uh, from that activity. But he said uh, he's going to stick with it. And he's going to come back. And uh, we wish him well. He's got about 30 days before they'll know for sure that they can uh, recover the use of his lower half. Uh, we'll continue to say prayers for both of them. And I lost a uh, close friend, Steve Jensen, a COVID victim uh, in fine health until he got the virus. And he was one of those that it went right to his lungs and destroyed Mm. the uh, respiratory function. He fought for several weeks in the hospital. And uh, Steve was a very devout Christian. And I know he said said his last prayer. and let it go. Steve, I remember years ago, got laid off over at Ingram, and he turned right around and said, I'm going to be a builder and a developer, and he developed Jensen's Homes, Mm -hmm. which uh, is prominent in the home building, did custom homes, uh, and quite successful. His son, Chris, one of my Boy Scouts years ago, uh, was working with him in the business. Uh, so uh, I know Steve has, I believe, five, five or six children. I lose count, six, I believe. And they're all here in the area. And uh, we express our sympathies to the Jensen family. But uh, he had a good life. And uh, with that many kids to succeed him, uh, I'm sure he he let it go very proudly. Yeah. People like that are are very, very special. And, uh, you know, you and I have been blessed. We've known so many unbelievable people that have been blessed and and have blessed us uh, during their lifespan. And uh, I, um, 
I just, it, it, it's hard to see them go, but you know that they're going to a very special place. That's true. Yeah. In fact, I came across something on one of your uh, mentors, uh, perhaps on your list of heroes. Uh, I was reviewing the uh, local newspaper from back, uh, from back during the war years, mm -hmm. and uh, this local newspaper was actually the uh, Highlights, is that the name of it? No. The newspaper out at MTSC at the time, 1944. And they were reporting uh, each week on all of the MTSC alumni who were in the service and who uh, they had information on. Mm -hmm. One name caught my eye, a fellow named Pate, P-A-T-E. First name, well, as it was presented here, Lieutenant Junior Grade Lee Pate. You remember my this? old football coach. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, it was interesting because it gave a little bit, kind of a tempting uh, information about his background before the war. Uh, he graduated from Middle Tennessee in 1936 uh, and then did graduate work at Columbia University in New York City. I didn't know that. I didn't uh, know that either. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, at MTSC. He was a quarterback on the football team for three years. You probably at least heard stories yes. of that. Yeah. That would have been early in the Depression years, early in the 30th. Uh, and uh, his family, they're described in this item as formerly of Murfreesboro. We're living in Jacksonville, his parents at the time, uh, before entering the Navy. Have any idea what he was doing before he entered the Navy? He was a younger one, so he uh, didn't go into the military until mid-war. Mm -hmm. uh, he was teaching math, mathematics. I can see that at Baylor School yeah. in Chattanooga, yes. in a private school. But the news item was that uh, he had just reported. <clears throat> Let's see, this was February 1944. <clears throat> he had just reported to uh, New Orleans Naval Armed Guard Center awaiting assignment where he was going to command the Navy gun crew aboard an American merchant vessel, mm. the merchant fleet that was supplying uh, Europe and the Japanese theater. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And it would have, uh, assuming he did get the assignment, he would be in charge of defending the merchant vessel if it was attacked. Wow. And uh, apparently he spent out the rest of the war uh, doing that. After the war, he came back uh, to Murfreesboro, and that's where many of the people in Murfreesboro came to know him. He was very structured and... He was a disciplinarian uh, at the highest level. And it, it's amazing that the people who required more from you and uh, demanded it were the people that affected your life the most. And uh, he was one of those that um, um, it was hard to be his friend when you were playing football for him. But you don't understand that until later on in life how much he meant to you and so many other people here in our community. And 
after we all got older, um, we, we, I think we respected it even more as we got older because I, I would notice that we would react to him uh, later on in life when we were in our 50s and, and on up, uh, just like we would have been teenagers. And uh, I, I think that most people felt that way about him and how he structured your life for you. Another familiar name in the same uh, report, in fact, it's the next name on it, was a fellow from Murfreesboro who uh, had attended Middle Tennessee, John D. George. Mm -hmm. uh, the D. George name was so much in evidence around the square for many years. At one time, was it Brothers had separate restaurants yeah. or uh, uh, store operations markets on the square. But this one was announcing that John D. George had been promoted from second lieutenant to first lieutenant. Uh, he was with the 8th Army Air Force Command headquarters somewhere in England. Mm. And that's not unusual. You frequently see in the reports during the war that someone is somewhere in because uh, that was part of the uh, uh, silence that was expected as to locations and activity. Uh, but it did note that uh, D. George was awarded the Air Medal with a citation for meritorious service in aerial flight over enemy-occupied continental Europe. That was a dangerous detail. Yeah, especially flying over into the yeah. German area. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, the number of bombers and bomber crews that were lost was staggering. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, you know, we kept at it, and uh, apparently John uh, survived it and got back. Now, is there much information around here in the Murfreesboro area about um, what they accomplished while they were in World War II? And, and um, sometimes I don't think we do enough for them. Of course, a lot of them, like your dad, they didn't even want to be noticed but but still i mean there there's no way that that you can hide from it with that type of uh, uh heroic uh, accomplishments that they had well we're getting more information now because the veterans are disappearing yeah and uh it's a shame that we go that way but that's been a pattern the uh real interest in preserving the history of the Civil War didn't uh, uh, really emerge until the 1890s, about 30 years after the end of the war. And then, mm -hmm. of course, the memorials, the monuments, the uh, documentation. And uh, the you and I have shared uh, diaries and uh, written pieces by veterans, but almost all of them weren't written until 1890, 1900, yeah. that period. Uh, and including myself now, I always look for anything I can find from that period that's first-hand information, such as what we were just reading, and uh, try to be sure that it is placed somewhere where it, we won't forget. Doesn't it bother you? I know it bothers me how people are so misguided about what happened during that particular war 
and and they want to do away with it, dis destroy the history of what was accomplished during that war. And it, it's some sometimes it, it the erosion. You wonder where it actually starts from, and why the the historical part is is so. Uh, like I said before, it's it's so misguided, and it, it, that that really does bother me. And it's it, a lot of times that, that information comes from people that um, uh, they want it done, but can't really find a purpose for why they're pushing all of these things. Usually, it's a contemporary interest that uh, they find uh, advantage in recasting history mm -hmm. and uh, to me that's a, an abusive use of history uh, those who are really interested in what happened uh, there are sources that uh, you can find that I've always said it's, it's I remember being impressed early on how much documentation there is if you yeah. go and look for it and uh, sometimes so, it, it it's almost like they're trying to tear down the foundation of what this country was built on. And and when most of the media, a large part of the media, falls in place with that push, then it makes it very difficult to uh, uh, maintain the type of history that belongs there instead of their particular interest. One of the, I think, reliable records is the judicial records and uh, it's always interesting to browse through what's been filed in, in different periods and you can see it affected by what's going on overall mm -hmm. uh, during the depression uh, much of the litigation obviously had to do with finances yeah people uh, coming up short or trying to recover and uh, one that I read the other day uh, was amusing. A lawsuit was filed uh, demanding a $300 recovery for conversion of teeth. And uh, I couldn't say that again. Conversion, which means yeah. taking and wrongfully yeah. disposing for financial gain uh, of teeth. And I thought, i got to go further on this one. Yes, you do. I'm uh, lost. And sure enough, a fella uh, had fallen on hard times, although apparently he had been prosperous at some time, and was uh, desperate for uh, enough money to buy food for his family at this particular point. And uh, the merchant, who also, I'm sure, was struggling with everybody's problems trying to pay for things, mm -hmm. uh, agreed to take collateral and hold it uh, in exchange for the necessary food items. And all the fellow had to offer was his dentures, which had several gold teeth in it. So he gave the grocer, the merchant, his teeth to be held uh, kind of in a uh, collateral, collateral sense mm -hmm. uh, in order to pay for his food. Uh, and he got his rations, his food, sufficient for he and his family. I guess it would have lasted for some time. And uh, the fellow was to hold the teeth, the gold teeth. Well, after a few days, the fellow who gave up his teeth realized that he was having an awful lot of trouble eating. Mm, and bless the food, his heart. <laughs> the food he had 
he had purchased with his collateral wasn't doing him a whole lot of good, although I suspect his family was enjoying it. So he went back to the fellow to get his teeth back. Well, time had elapsed, and the fellow had sold his teeth to a metals broker and uh, you know, said, tough luck. And so there, that, that's the root of the, the tooth root of the lawsuit. And uh, he wanted, the, the suit was for a $300 recovery. Uh, allegedly the value of the of the teeth. I could not find a report on how the suit finally came out. I suspect he'd have a hard time recovering. How long ago are we looking We're at? We're looking at the early 30s. Bless his heart. Yeah. Uh, so. He got a double whammy. Yeah, how that worked out. Maybe we can find a follow-up article, but uh, that was just the filing of the suit. That's not any, in any uh, legal books whatsoever is how that was. Uh, it was a newspaper account. The daily newspaper, the daily, the local newspapers used to almost once a week, they'd go to the courts and just report what was filed, mm -hmm. who filed it, what judgments, if they had been made, were in there. So The chances was, are not good that he won. I don't think he had much because he had made a contract. Mm -hmm. And uh, he apparently had so many days to come and claim his teeth. And uh, it took him that long to decide he was going to starve to death if he didn't get his teeth. Yeah. Now, that sounds like one of the cases you would have taken. I know how, I know how so many uh, of your friends and things uh, look forward to uh, getting into a court of law with you representing them. Uh, this case was in small claims court, so... Attorney or not, uh, it's hard to go into a courtroom without representation. It is. It certainly is today. There was more of it in the past. Yeah, you know, I've never heard you uh, advertising uh, for uh, your particular firm. The let's see, the Greg and Mentriet firm. Uh, uh, that's that's today we do other things <laughs> together i was fortunate that i joined a large law coming out of school i got into a very large law firm we had about 350 attorneys at that time it's over a thousand now i understand how'd you end up in washington chasing a girl <laughs> yeah. caught her too yes you did and i'm proud of you yeah but uh the law firm I was with discouraged us from uh, de trying to develop individually clientele mm -hmm. because there was the firm name, the firm itself attracted more than we could handle. And uh, so I never had to worry about client development, which is very important mm -hmm. in most firms. Uh, but Was it the firm that drew the attention of the people who needed representation? Well, there were in the firm were individual attorneys who had national, in some case international, reputations. Mm -hmm. But most of the work that came to Covington and Burling came because of the name and the history of the firm. Uh, let's see, Covington or Burling? One of them was on staff on Capitol Hill mm -hmm. and wrote the Internal Revenue Income Tax Codes. Wow. 
Uh, so he had a an edge there. He set up a firm to then interpret for major corporations. Mm-hmm. That was the genesis of the firm. And the other one, uh, I think Burling, was a local judge. And uh, he left the judiciary to join the firm. And Dean Atchison was one of their early mm-hmm. partners. In fact, it was Covington, Burling, Atchison, Rubley, and Shore was the, the whole thing. And, of course, Dean Atchison invented the what we call now the revolving door in Washington, D.C. And uh, I saw that very evidently when I was there, when the Republican administration came in. Certain members of the law firm took leave and worked in the administration. When it would shift to the Democratic, uh, a Democratic administration, they would come back and another group would go uh, be part of the administration. So it was very much a revolving door as uh, was it Ralph Nader that came up with that phrase? Someone did. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. See, I got an interesting uh, email that prompted me to uh, go back and review some research we had done before. A uh, Meredith Sims contacted me from Virginia, and she immediately made clear that she was a Tennessee native and wanted me to appreciate that. She was uh, raised in Fayetteville. Uh, But uh, she is a senior leader in the uh, Virginia DAR, Daughters of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Apparently came across my name through some DAR contact. Uh, She is the state vice chairman of the state organization. And she is the regent, the leader of the George Mason chapter in Virginia of the Daughters of the American Revolution. Anyway, it turns out that she's a descendant of a Shelbyville Methodist preacher uh, from the 1930s. His name was Oliver. I'm not sure how the last name was pronounced, but it's spelled L-A-R-G-E-N. looks like Largen. And the name was familiar to me because I had come across it not too far back uh, in the aftermath of what uh, many refer to as the Bedford County Riot, 1934. And she said the family folklore in her family uh, had a certain accounting of that period and that activity. And uh, she wanted me to confirm what uh, had been written by a son of uh, the Methodist preacher, uh, all of who were passed on. And she was trying to decide whether uh, it was accurate enough to be published. Uh, And uh, so I went over it for her and sent her a copy of what I had written. But uh, I wrote it from a Rutherford County perspective. Uh, because Rutherford County individuals were very prominent in that matter. And you and I have talked about this before, and I think the the lesson that's very obvious is if you're going to try to deal with a difficult situation, you've got to have the manpower mm-hmm. or the firepower, however you want to characterize it. And uh, that was not the case uh, in this one. But on December 19, 1934, there was a call early in the, early in the morning, like shortly after midnight, 
to members of the National Guard unit in Rutherford County. Uh, the National Guard unit in Rutherford County was exceptional. Uh, saw uh, heroic service in World War One, and if you look at the history of military activity in World War Two, about a year and a half before Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. the Rutherford County National Guard unit was activated and went overseas or went somewhere and was setting up providing uh, military services, administrative services, training and such early on. And uh, we know that uh, there are some prominent names involved. In fact, Henry Alexander was one of the young men who was called up. I think Henry uh, uh, went into banking very prominent, even got into the New York banking activity. And uh, a fellow named Houston, Frank Houston, also a prominent name. We hear Houston, Christ, Christy Houston, the foundation mm -hmm. yeah. referred to. It's that family. But the call that came to him was that there was a problem in Bedford County, and uh, the uh, law enforcement authorities in Bedford County had called the governor or the state asking for reinforcement backup. So the Rutherford County unit was activated immediately, uh, reported to the armory, uh, got vehicles and weapons, and were instructed to uh, have uh, weapons loaded. And uh, were uh, early morning mobilized and armed, and armed as though they were going into combat and sent down there. What was going on is that that day before, a uh, teenage girl accused a 22-year-old uh, fella of rape. And uh, the local media had picked up on it and uh, emphasized the uh, circumstances. And uh, apparently the the girl had been, in, was in school and was going between the uh, restroom facilities, which were outside the building, back mm -hmm. towards the school. And the fella had been seen hanging around the school for a couple of days. And uh, he was immediately identified and arrested. And in the meantime, stories began to circulate all over the county. And a uh, crowd began to gather at the courthouse where the jail was. Uh, demanding the uh, accused and uh, fearing that there was very likely a threat of a lynching is why the guard was called out. Mm -hmm. uh, when the guard got there, the uh, square was almost full of the locals who were uh, objecting and demanding the accused The court down there decided the best thing to do was to have a very quick trial so the hearing, the pretrial hearing took place shortly after he was arrested and the trial was literally scheduled for the next day. Hmm. Uh, but when the mob started gathering, the uh, sheriff, the police department there saw the potential and sent the uh, accused to Murfreesboro first. Mm -hmm. And the crowd quickly learned of that and was threatening to head to Murfreesboro. So he was, tra he was transferred quickly to Nashville but uh, the court 
in uh, in Bedford County refused to grant a change of venue. First mistake, probably. Mm. They said no. The crime has the trial has to take place in the county of the alleged crime. So they brought him back. Now the judge made that decision. Yeah, the judge made that decision. That's what I say is the first mistake. Yeah. Well, the first mistake was trying to go on a fast track. Yeah. Because that inflamed the mob. You know, we've got to move fast. The second was not changing venue in in the face of uh, what was apparently a developing obvious situation. They called in the guard. The guard arrived there after the mob had surrounded the courthouse, but the uh, unit from Rutherford County moved in and encircled the courthouse, mm-hmm. made a perimeter around the courthouse with fixed bayonet and loaded at least hand handguns. Yeah. Sure enough, the crowd rushed at the people in the back pushing forward. So the ones up front that were actually confronting the guard were being literally pushed in over the guard and uh, were aggressive. And uh, the guard reacted uh, in uh, one report. In fact, I think it was Houston that said uh, he knew that he had uh, his bayonet had caught one of the protesters in the abdomen. And uh, not because he had thrust, but because the crowd had pushed in on him. And at least three of the uh, uh, protesters, we call them today, Mm -hmm. the mob, uh, were hit with gunfire. Same situation. Uh, The guard, though, saw the crowd fell back, but was obviously moving again for a second rush. Mm -hmm. So the guard commander, interesting name, G.S. Ridley, that's the senior Granville Ridley, oh. was the major in charge. And uh, the second in command was Captain Altman Sanders, a business, a name familiar in the business circles in, mm-hmm. uh, in Rutherford County. Uh, they even had field artillery uh, in place such. Wow. But uh, they decided the better judgment was to move back into the courthouse. So they moved into the courthouse. Again, very likely not the right thing to do because then the mob moved right to the doors and the windows and uh, were about to take the courthouse. So the decision was made to retreat. And uh, the the boys later described the retreat as saying, we literally backed our way out facing the crowd with fixed gun bayonet, Mm -hmm. backed our way out made it back to the vehicles, uh, but found that about half the vehicles we were going to have to abandon because the mob had already taken taken possession of them. Uh, what they did, though, was they took the accused, dressed him up in a National Guard uniform, and he they got him out. He moved out with them. Uh, the mob then took over the courthouse, discovered that the accused and everything else, everybody else, was gone. And so they destroyed the courthouse. Of course. Burned the courthouse. Yeah. And uh, back in Murfreesboro, they went, several of the boys went to a popular restaurant that was open uh, 24 hours, apparently. And that's where the media sat down with them and got the story firsthand. Yeah. And... Uh, Again, I believe I've got the right name. Houston said uh, 
know, as Henry Alexander told about being confronted uh, when he tried to claim one of the army trucks. And uh, one of the gang approached the truck, and he told him, take another step and I'll fire. And the, the uh, protester, the member of the mob, said, I don't believe you, and advanced. Alexander dropped his weapon and backed off. Uh, I guess, again, a lesson there. If you make a threat, you better be willing to follow through on it. Yeah. Let's uh, take a break. You don't do? All right. All right. We'll be right back with Greg Tucker. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. It's a slick pig barbecue, spicy wings and Brunswick stew, everything made fresh for you at the slick pig barbecue. There's lean smoked turkey and chicken too. Ribs so tender don't need to chew. Well, come on, folks, I'm telling you, it's a slick pig barbecue. In 1920 East Main, you're gonna love the pig. The Slick Pig Barbecue, a Murfreesboro tradition. This is Scott. It's now time to make your health a priority with a quick and easy health assessment at Low T Center where they exclusively specialize in us men and they follow strict medical guidelines for your health and safety. And they are one of the leading men's medical providers in the country. Low T Center has really reinvented the doctor's visit and they make it quick and easy for us men to get in and get all of our levels checked out, not just our testosterone. It starts with an annual wellness exam where they do a comprehensive health assessment so you know all your numbers that are important to your health. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, have noticed weight gain or loss of muscle mass, they could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center can determine the cause and help. And now they offer monitored self-inject at home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety. $135 a month for self-pay or covered by most health insurance. So book your annual wellness exam today. Go to LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. A Murfreesboro man killed in a two-vehicle crash Saturday night on eastbound I-24 near Sam Ridley Parkway. The highway patrol says a sedan attempted to change lanes and hit a pickup truck. That caused the truck to roll and finally come to rest in the roadway. The Honda sedan was stopped in the grassy median. The driver of the pickup, 58-year-old Patrick Corte, died at the scene. The driver of the sedan, 20-year-old Alexander Hall, was not hurt. Both men were wearing seatbelts and both were from Murfreesboro. A free food box distribution for those in need will take place at St. Mark's United Methodist Church Saturday, May 8th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The free food boxes will contain non-perishable foods and will be available on a first-come, first-served basis. No pre-registration is required for the May 8th event. JazzFest 2021 was back after a year of the pandemic and a year of rain. 
Main Street Executive Director Sarah Callender said this year's event was better than ever. The noon hour was broadcast live over WGNS. Middle Tennessee State University's spring 2021 commencement ceremonies are returning to Murphy Center May 7th through 9th for a three-day, 10-event graduation weekend. The plan is to keep 2,000-plus undergraduates and graduate students, their six guests each, and 10 groups of supportive faculty, administrators, and staff safely apart but together and all in mandatory masks to mark the graduates' accomplishments. The May 2021 graduating class at MTSU totals 2,490 students, compromises 2,155 undergraduates and 335 graduate scholars. That second figure includes 27 master's candidates, 25 education specialist degree recipients, and 23 doctoral candidates. 26 will receive certificates. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Adams Place is a premier senior living facility in Murfreesboro. Our residents say the chefs at Adams Place run the area's best restaurant. Call us at Adams Place and arrange a tour today. Adams Place Residential Living Director Terry Deal. Offering independent living, assisted living, memory care, health care center, and on-site rehabilitation. Adams Place is at 1927 Memorial Boulevard. Take a moment and rate your lifestyle on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is a life that's nothing like the life you were promised after getting good grades, a college degree, and a good job in corporate America. 10 is the life of your dreams. If you answered anything less than a 10, tune into the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell's self-made millionaire and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited will show you how to live the life of your dreams and pay for it with passive income. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show, Monday through Saturday, 11 to noon right here on news radio wgns good neighbor weather we'll see a few spotty showers and thunderstorms here early this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions a high in the low 80s winds out of the southwest at 10 to 20 miles per hour gusting as high as 25 i'm meteorologist jennifer vuchitsky on news radio wgns currently it's 65 Classic kid movies are back this summer at Premier 6 on Broad in Jackson Heights. $5 tickets include admission, drink, popcorn, and candy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes for classic kid movies all summer. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And back with Greg Tucker, and we haven't uh, gotten to where the trial is going to be yet. Uh, finally, under the circumstances, uh, a venue was given, a change of venue, so it could be tried in Nashville. Uh-huh. But the first, uh, the day after the burning, or the day of, I guess, that morning, uh, the governor's office saw the problem, and they called up four units uh, from around the area and sent them in. An interesting development, though, after the uh, courthouse was burned and the square was trashed, uh, the mob disappeared, and a and I think it's a fair characterization a vigilante group of about a hundred citizens from the local area were organized quickly by a local dentist, and they stepped into the void because 
all of the law enforcement personnel had fled with the guard. Hmm. And uh, there was no law enforcement personnel in the area at all by the afternoon, by noon of that day. So this uh, dentist, I don't have his name offhand, uh, but he organized uh, a local citizens group, and they took responsibility for maintaining order. But by the end of the day, guard units were activated by the governor from Winchester, Nashville, Cleveland, and Jackson, Tennessee. You can see he went out quite a ways to mm -hmm. get uh, beyond any any influence of the circumstances. Uh, Who was the governor? Have you got it? Governor in the 30s. I don't. Okay. Some have lived. It was 1934. Yeah. Uh, but again, there's a lesson there. The unit that came down from Murfreesboro was less than 100 men, something in the neighborhood of 100, when he realized more manpower and firepower was needed. They had 600 National Guardsmen come in mm -hmm. and uh, secure the, the town again. Uh, the Bedford County Sheriff at the time, Tom Gant, took his family and just left, went out of state. And, uh, That's unbelievable. Yeah, and there we come to the point raised by the email I got. The local Methodist minister, Oliver Largen, L-A-R-G-E-N, he tried, following the events, to organize a committee or a group or a, a, a legal effort to identify the mob leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, in response to that effort, he got several threatening letters, and uh, his home was burned. Fortunately, he had already sent his family out of the area, mm. and he was not in the house when it burned. Uh, he then left the state as well, uh, and uh, there was never any prosecution of any mob leadership or any of the rioters, never prosecuted. Six months after the incident, the uh, young man was tried. He was convicted. He was uh, sentenced, death sentence. He was executed in May. That would have been about six, four, yeah, about five months after the incident. Uh, the prison warden who oversaw the execution said that he confessed to the crime before the sentence was carried out. Uh, but the reports show that four four uh, Bedford County residents died in the uh, riot. Mm -hmm. Three, they all, as a result of the clash with the National Guard, three of them died of gunshot wounds and one died of a knife bayonet wound to the mm -hmm. abdomen. And uh, as you noted while we were on break, uh, soft tissue abdominal wounds back in the 30s were very, very difficult to deal yeah. with. So usually they bleed to death internally. The only direct question the uh, lady from Virginia asked me was she said her family folklore said that the uh, KKK was responsible for the riot. I did communicate back to her and said my research never identified any organized effort it was really a mob infuriated by circumstances and fueled by alcohol that was noted in several mm -hmm. several reports. And uh, the nature of the incident 
inflamed uh, inflamed the bomb, and then the efforts that were made to outwit the mob uh, served to further inflame inflame him. You know, trying to move him out of town, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and also the uh, 20th century KKK had pretty much disappeared in terms of an organized entity. Uh, I'd say it completely disappeared by the mid-30s, depression having something to do with that. Mm-hmm. Everybody had other things to, to engage them. And the contemporary clan uh, didn't emerge until after World War II. So uh, I'm not surprised that there's no mention anywhere of any clan activity in connection with this particular riot. What was the um, uh, subject that you might say the local newspapers, whether it be in Bedford County and Rutherford County, because they were both um, the, the both counties were involved in it early on. Um, did they take a particular side in what was going on at the time? Because if if you get into um, accurate um, uh, as far as letting the people know what was going on in in the communities, were did they put out an accurate uh, uh, picture of what was happening? Or were they completely just um, uh, intimidated with with the, the happenings that, at the time? The Murfreesboro papers uh, reported exactly what was reported back to them by the guard members. Yeah. And uh, that interview, those uh, that data collection occurred uh, within hours uh, or less almost immediately following the incident as the guard unit straggled back into Rutherford County without some of its vehicles, without some of its armor. Uh, So, you know, uh, the papers at the time were reporting what they were told by the participants. Uh, And uh, I didn't find any... Uh, what would you say, expression of sentiment in those early reports. Now, later in the editorials, uh, after you know the incident was pretty well understood, uh, the media condemned the mob and the mob action, the lack of uh, mm-hmm. law and order and that kind of thing. Uh, and I found nothing where they commented on the uh, accused, uh, although apparently the jury was convinced rather quickly that there was guilt and uh, at the time it was a capital crime so it ran rather smooth there Bedford County newspapers were shut down uh, for the immediate time after the riot whether they were burned out or just intimidated I don't know Uh, interesting too that uh, this incident is so generally unknown uh, I guess there's some older residents maybe in uh, Bedford County that actually remember it mm-hmm. uh, but uh, other than getting into the current new, the contemporary news media I can't find anything at all on it
It's not in the textbooks. It's not in the history books. And, you know, that's the second time the, uh, well, no, that was the first. The second time the uh, uh, guard unit from up here, actually the home guard, I think, I'd go back to my notes, uh, was called up was the riots in Williamson County. Mm-hmm. And there the uh, local contingent, the uh, the home guard, Brought brought it to a very quick end by just showing up with massive firepower, and uh, one of those who remembered it said the riot disappeared uh, when they rolled in with a half track with a mounted uh, artillery, uh, and no one was hurt, at least not in the clash between the guard and the and the uh, rioters. But, you know, to me it's tragic that four members of the community died as a result of the riot, and they they, they accomplished nothing except destruction, uh, which the community had to bear the, the cost of that. I'm, I'm, I'm really not as, as uh, uh, aggravated about the four being killed because... Um, they were, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, um, I don't think the uh, guard really displayed all the firepower that they could have at the time, and, and they are uh, they're pretty much uh, uh, trying to, to take the legal uh, stance themselves rather than going through a courtroom and and be tried by 12 of their peers i mean uh to me that that that's the most unsatisfactory thing that you can do is to try to uh um do away with the legal precedent it's already there and and do it yourself i mean lynching is one of the most terrible things that can happen to a legal system, as far as I'm concerned, and, yeah. and you have to do what you're sworn to do. And the guard, I think, uh, were acting in good faith and trying to show some restraint. But I suspect if we uh, had the names and all of the four who were who died, the four protesters, you'll find that they were the front. They were the front line. Yeah. Uh, because it happened when they were pushed from behind. Uh, up onto the guard, and the guard either reacted uh, to protect themselves or didn't even consciously react. I know the fellow who said uh, it was his bayonet. Mm-hmm. He said when they pushed forward, you know, and they pushed them right up onto the the mounted fixed bayonet. Yeah. We, we should never allow a mob to take over a situation. And in um, and, and well, today's some, time, I mean, we've seen it happen in yeah. Oregon and Washington and in other places that uh, Minneapolis. We're, we should be well beyond those type of situations. So is, is that the... Um, oh, one thing I was going to ask you on that. Was there any uh, uh, response from the national news media during that particular time? Because it had to be, but I have never heard of this one. A good question. 
Uh, I'll see if I can uh, determine what uh, is bound to have been. Well, I know in 46, when the problem, uh, when there was the riot and the Home Guard got involved, uh, it was big time around the country in terms of national media. And that instant incident, which you and I have talked about, uh, led to the uh, reputation of Thurgood Marshall because he came in to defend those who were being charged with uh, with the riot. Uh, but this one, certainly nothing productive came from it. Uh, and to the extent that it was played in the national news media, I, actually I think I'd be surprised if uh, there was much attention given to it given the time and the period. Well, when, when you find out, we'll, are we going to talk about that a little bit next Monday? I don't know. You don't? <laughs> I never know for sure what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, but that, that, that's gotten my attention and my... Uh, Given your background. Yeah. Well, I, you I, wouldn't have shown up with uh, insufficient manpower, which really was what happened. Well, you uh, know, when the, we had the protests here on the square in Murfreesboro, we had there were more officers there than there were protesters at the time because I think the word had gotten out that uh, they were not going to allow them to come in and take over this town. And there was no damage. Yeah. No loss of life, certainly, and no physical damage. So being there with enough to uh, deal with the situation is, is important. Yeah. The local police and the sheriff's department did a tremendous job in keeping this town safe, and hopefully we will never have those type problems. As as uh, obviously it was a, uh, I, I can't even imagine being there at the time with with that type of uh, response. Next time you go through Shelbyville, look at the courthouse. It was rebuilt with mostly federal money. Uh, in the late 30s and is uh, quite a massive, uh, almost fortress-like uh, compared to, for instance, our antique. Uh, our antique? Our courthouse. <laughs> our courthouse is an antique. And a, and an heirloom. It's a beautiful antique. It, it sure is. Uh, but you look at the one in Shelbyville, and if you don't know the history, you think, boy, they certainly built a big, solid-looking courthouse built in the late 30s. Uh, it, it was. It, you don't. Do you remember the old jail? It was like it was in built inside a rock. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. All right. Is that it? That must be it for the day. All right. I enjoyed it. See uh, you next week. We going over to Hooper's? Yeah, let's check on Hooper's. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see if we can get him on next Monday. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you in the morning at nine. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. 
since 1981, Willow Windows has been making homes beautiful all over Tennessee. From decks and railings to doors and windows. Visit willowwindow.pro. Willow Window, the official sponsor of the WGNS Studios. willowwindow.pro.